Hey, babe. Yeah, babe. Remember that time that we watched Rosemary's Baby? You mean Breakfast at Tiffany's, but fucking scary? Yes, that one. Yeah, I do. It's actually one of my favorite things ever. Yeah. And I'm really excited to talk about it. Same. Um, even though the director is very problematic. Um, I'm going to say A that. Yes. Yes. I. That's the right word. That's correct. <laughs> I was being way too nice. Yeah. No, he doesn't deserve it. Yeah. So I want to say that like up top that we do not condone anything that this monster has done. No. If you're unfamiliar, he is a child rapist. Yes. And he is living scot-free in Paris. Paris. Roman Polanski is his name, and he sucks. And that's it. All right, yeah, so 1968. Yep. We're in New York. So it was written, uh, screenplay and the book were both written by Ira Lovin. Which I have read the book, and so now I just say that I really fucking love the book, so I just don't <laughs> even have to talk about the movie. Because, yeah, I have a lot of trouble with how much I actually really like the movie. Yeah. Well, and there's there's so many good technical aspects to this. Like, uh, cinematographer was uh, William Fraker, mm-hmm. who shot a lot of my favorite, like, super pretty films. Um, yeah. He shot Bullet, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, mm-hmm. uh, Close Encounters. Mm-hmm. He's a fucking incredible cinematographer. Just, yeah, so fucking good. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Actually, no, the screenplay was done by Polanski, too. But oh. the, But Levin wrote the story. And on it, I'll, I'll say this now: there, there really are no differences between the movie and the book. Like from the lines, like he yeah, literally no, no, no. like took the lines from the book and put mm-hmm. them in the movie. The only, the only, only difference is there's a part where Rosemary goes to a cabin um, that does not happen in the movie, and I understand why that doesn't happen in the movie because we don't really need a second location. No, we really don't. We already have a movie with Mia Farrow where she goes to a second location, and it's super fucking bad. Yeah. It's not a good movie. Not a fan of that one. So, as I said, uh, this is Mia Farrow's kind of breakout film, really. And she's she's wonderful. She's so good in this. So uh, pretty, too. So symmetrical. <laughs> she looks like a fairy. She's so symmetrical. And then um, one of my other favorite directors, John Cassavetes, in mm-hmm. this, playing mm-hmm. guy. Not a huge budget. It's about $3 million. Mm-hmm. Made back 10 times that at the box office. Cool. Yeah. And, yeah, it... Got put in the Library of Congress a few years ago. Hmm. It's hugely, hugely, hugely influential, which we'll get to later. Yeah. Um, so I guess we should jump into the plot. Plot. Okay, cool. It's 1965, New York, Upper West Side. Shit's going down. We have Guy and Rosemary Woodhouse. They are newly married. They are moving into the Bramford apartment building. They're looking through the apartment and they notice this cabinet's been moved and there's an empty closet behind it. Oh, weird. We're already into the horror of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They've been you living... think it's like going to be a haunting after this? Like a yeah, woman has died and that's the like reason that. why yeah. they like got off the wait list or whatever for the right. Bramford is because she yeah. died. And now we're seeing kind of just some irregularities with the apartment. So automatically you kind of think it might be a haunting. Yeah, that's that was my first vibe when I yeah. watched it 15 years ago the first time. Yeah. Their friend Hutch that they had been living with it's like, no, 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 don't take it. Uh, that place is full of cannibals and murderers, and it's super dark, and you two are too pure for that. They ignore him. They move in. Rosemary meets Terry in the basement doing laundry, who reveals she's a recovering addict, and she's been living with the Castavets, Minnie and Roman, who were who are the next-door neighbors to Guy and Rosemary. And down in the basement, Rosemary comments on a charm mm-hmm. that Terry is wearing, and it's like this ball, like a wire ball ball and it has something inside and tennis anyone tennis anyone terry has this little charm that rosemary compliments her on and it's like a little like wire ball and there's like this weird kind of like mold looking thing and it smells on the inside and (laughs) and so stinky 
And Rosemary's like, oh, that's beautiful. Like, what is that? And she's like, oh, the cast of Oats gave it to me. And It's a good luck charm. It's yeah. a good luck charm. And yeah, it stinks, but you get used to it. Blah, blah, blah. And yeah, they're like, they they become pals. Yeah. And they decide to do laundry in the creepy basement together because they're both kind of scared of the basement. Right. <laughs> so later... Guy and Rosemary have been to see this play and they see a bunch of cops and Terry is dead on the ground. Uh, With a suicide a, note. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, thrown herself seven floors off. And that's when we meet the cast of Vets who are obviously and understandably visibly upset. Initially, Guy and Rosemary hate the cast of Vets, but Guy kind of starts, after they go over to dinner with them one time, Guy starts getting a little more buddy-buddy with them. Mm-hmm. He hangs out with Roman. They drink, they smoke, they do the yada, yada, yada. Minnie then gives Rosemary a very similar looking pendant. And it turns out, yeah, it's definitely the same one. It's not made super clear, but it's the same pendant that Terry was wearing. Yes, yes. Like, literally took it off her cold, dead body and gave it to Rosemary. Right. Yeah. Guy, suddenly, like, his life starts changing. He's been, you know, second banana for all these roles forever. To Donald something. It's it's like a terrible last name, and they make a point of it. They're like, yeah. how did it, like, because I think Guy changed his name yes. to be an actor, and because yes. it sounded more like an actor's name or whatever, whatever that means. Mm-hmm. Um, and We both know exactly what that means. Well, I think it's stupid. But anyway, <laughs> um, so then uh, they're, they're all making fun of his name. They're like, Donald, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. butt stuff. Like, <laughs> how, like, you know, how was he number one? Because, like, he, you know, didn't change his name. He doesn't have, like, you know, the star appeal or right. whatever. And then he ends up going. Guy gets a phone call that he's gone blind. Right. Just and randomly, like, woke up and couldn't couldn't see. And that guy is getting this lead role in mm. in something that is going to basically catapult his career. No matter, even if the even if the play doesn't do well, doesn't run for very long, it's it's like a breakout role, right, for him. So he now has it because this guy has gone blind mysteriously. Mm. Not guy, but this other guy. Yes, Donald has gone blind. <laughs> so Guy's super stoked. He's so excited. He's kind of a dick to Rosemary for a while. And he's like, you know what? Let's have a baby. Rosemary's yeah, all baby. Of a That's sudden, the title of the movie. Oh, my God. <laughs> all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah he's he, out of nowhere. He's just like, let's make a baby. He takes a sharp turn. Yeah. And of course, Rosemary rationalizes this as like, well, you know, maybe he was worried about his finances, which I'm right. already confused. I about like how they can afford this apartment in the Bramford. And in the book, it tells you how much they pay up front for this apartment, the rent, like security deposit and everything. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure this is the right number, or at least ballpark, but it's insane. $583. Fuck me. Like, I know that that was a lot different money. Like, the money was better but this is the bramford so i think rosemary kind of rationalizes this as like maybe he was worried about finances because obviously having a baby is expensive and now that he's probably broken out into you know is probably going to break acting paycheck yeah then i think she rationalized it as that as where like i thought when i first saw it i was like that's a sharp turn mm-hmm. for someone to make from because he was very hesitant whenever she would talk about it. Right. And he was like, you know, I want to put my career first, blah, blah, blah. And then he made this complete sharp turn of like, let's have sex tonight. And she's like, well, I'm not ovulating. And he's like, well, the next time you are, we're doing it. Mark the calendar. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's really soon because I just feel like if you weren't taking a sharp turn, you'd be like, I want to have a baby. Let's plan for it in like six months. Yeah. He's like, let's do it tomorrow. Right. So they finally, like, they're like, okay, we're going to sit down. We're going to make the baby tonight, but let's, like, have, like, a nice little romantic dinner. It's going to be super mm-hmm. cute. And they are. They're having a nice time, and they're really enjoying it. And then all of a sudden, Minnie comes over and 
guy also weirdly is something like, oh, no, 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 we'll tell you, talk to her for a second. And he's like, I don't want to fucking talk to Minnie. She sucks. And he's like, no, they're great. They're great. Well, he forgets the pie because she was like, which is, there's so many deliberate things. And uh, and again, it's just it's just more fleshed out in the, in the book yeah. too. But in the movie as well, he just like conveniently forgets the pie. And he's the only one who's upset about not having dessert. Mm. And that's when you're kind of like, what's he up to? You know, yeah, that doesn't come across in the movie at all. Yeah. Well, in the, in the book, he, he's like, oh man, I walked right by the pie place and didn't get it. I'm sorry, honey. And she's like, well, I've been to like 10 grocery stores to try and make this dinner for you and you couldn't fucking pick up a pie. She doesn't mm-hmm. actually say that, but I was thinking yeah. it. I was, but it, he's, there's something up his sleeve. So Minnie comes over with the chocolate mouse. She brings over the chocolate mouse. The chocolate mouse, which also in the book is, it's differentiated. There are crushed walnuts on guys. There's one whole walnut on hers. I see. Which, sedative. Right. (laughs) There's something in there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so yeah, Rosemary talks about how it tastes like shit, and he, guy gets pissed at her because she's... Oh, he totally gaslights her here. Yeah. Because she won't wear the charm. She she puts it away because she's like, oh, that's smelly. It's pretty, but it's like making my whole room stink. Yeah. So she puts it in a drawer. She won't wear it. And then at dinner, when she's like, it's got a chalky undertaste or something, she says, and he totally gaslights her and is like... Is like, oh well, I mean, you won't you won't wear her charm. Why don't you, you know, might as well not eat her dessert, like calling her like rude. He gaslights her and manipulates her mm-hmm. by saying, you know, like, oh, mine's fine. Like there's nothing in there. Like you're you're kinda crazy. Like, yeah, like you're making this up. You're yeah. making this up. And and then so she's like, fine, fine, I'll eat it. So she like takes it's a whole dot goddamn thing and just like makes a this is such a great Mia Farrow moment. Yeah. Because they're getting to this like screaming match, and she's just like, "Fine, fuck you," and just like shoves in her face and like overdoes it. It's like, mm, mm. and then he's like, "Just exactly what I would do in that moment." Well, then, um, then he's in the other room, and she pours the rest of it in her napkin. Right, but she's clearly had enough because then she starts feeling ill. Yeah, she like just passes the fuck out. Yeah, and then we get the devil rape scene. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that one. Yep, that's it. That's all I'm gonna say there. She's raped by the devil. That's it. Yeah. We won't go into the trippy details. <laughs> no. There's just a bunch of people around and she can't but tell if it's real or not. But there is this great part where she like, so she thinks she's dreaming, obviously, but there is this part right in the middle where she goes, this is no dream. Yes. This is real. Yes. And it's amazing. It's such a weird line read, but I kind of love it. Like, I think I would hate it on anyone else, but I love that line Well, it's read. very like, it is, again, very Audrey Hepburn. This is no dream. This yes. is real. Which I only... Like very Judy Garland, very Audrey Hepburn. Yeah. Which I only I only say that it's Breakfast at Tiffany's, but scary. I don't like Breakfast at Tiffany's as a movie, but that it's just... That makes you Andrew Well, it's just, it, it's for lack of a more known movie to compare it to. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, just everyone knows what Breakfast at Tiffany's looks like. So then yeah. after the uh, so devil marital rape scene. Yeah, she's pregnant. She goes to the doctor. It's her doctor still at this point that she's gone to. Uh, she got hooked Dr. up Dr. Hill. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She's pregnant. She's going to be giving birth on June 28th, 1966. She tells Guy. He's so excited. She's like, yeah, we need to be more honest with each other and communicate. And he's like, uh, yeah, yes, that's what we'll do. 
Yeah. <laughs> the Castavets decide, no, 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 no. You will not see Dr. Hill. You will see only see Mr. Dr. Abraham Saperstein. And yeah, Minnie starts giving Rosemary her daily health drink uh, that she hates. She starts losing a bunch of weight. She's got bad pain, uh, like cramps all the time. She's losing tons of weight. She mm-hmm. looks like a fucking skeleton. And she's like always like, there's so many really great shots of her eating raw meat. Oh my God. Yeah. In the, so good. So yeah. In the movie, she's like, you know, eating like rare steak or what, like yeah. really rare steak, like bleeding yeah, she steak. Yeah, she like pop yeah, she barely cooked the thing. And but in the in the book, I'm sorry, I'm gonna keep bringing it up like an asshole. Go for it. But in the book, it's great because she eats she eats a raw and dripping chicken heart. Yes. And then vomits. Yes. So Hutch finally comes over to see her. They hang out for a while. They're chatting. He's super worried about her because she looks like shit and she's deep into her pregnancy and should not look like this. Also, Doctor Saperstein has told her. Not to talk to her friends. Yeah. Not to read any books or anything for that matter yeah. about pregnancy because he's like he's like everyone's Girls is different. Be filling their heads with book learning. Right, and so and so she has no idea what's going on, and and he says not to take any vitamins. That what Minnie's giving her is enough. All the vitamins she needs, yeah. And it's it's just completely isolating and insane. But we'll get into that later. Yeah. But I just wanted to throw that in there. Yeah. No, it's good to point that out. Hutch is mad, freaked out, and he's like, right, "Look, I love you. Why don't we?" meet up again soon they're gonna go like get lunch that or he calls her and then they're gonna go grab lunch Mm -hmm. guy is furious because she wants to go see dr hill hutch goes into a coma but suddenly she stops taking her stops drinking her drink yeah she tries to get she she tries to get minnie out of her house so she doesn't like watch her drink and she just pours it down the drain and she decides to have the party, right? This is kind of the breaking point yes. where she just she's like, I'm sick of fucking Minnie and Roman. Like, I... I want to hang out with people who are on age. Yeah. Like, everybody they hang out with is in their 60s, 70s. Yeah. So um, she decides to have, like, a dinner mm-hmm. party with her friends. And there's a really great scene when the party happens where her friends are like, are like, babe, you don't look good. Yeah. You need to go and get a second opinion. Like, yeah. this is not what it should be like. That's when she tells Guy that she's going to go see Dr. Hill. Yeah. 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 It's after the party because her friends are like, are like, none of this shit happened to me. This is a weird pregnancy. Like, yeah. something's she wrong. She has a breakdown in the in, in the kitchen and Guy yeah. is like furious with her. Well, because she can't stand the pain anymore. And like, she's right. like crying. And I mean, you just kind of see how, how isolated she's been and... Just, I don't know. It's really sad. Mm -hmm. That scene is really sad because her friends are like, go see someone. Why haven't we seen you in like all these months? Like we didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. A few months later, like three-ish months later, Hutch dies. His friend Grace, uh, he like kind of comes back to consciousness for a little bit and told his friend Grace to give Rosemary a book about witchcraft. All of them witches. I love that title. Yeah, all of them witches. All of them witches. And he says it's an anagram. Yeah, the name is an anagram. The name is an anagram. It takes Rosemary a while to figure this puzzle out, but eventually she does and figures out that Roman Castavet is actually Stephen Marcato, the son of the former resident of the Bramford, who was a cannibal and a Satanist. Mm-hmm. She starts to convince herself that her neighbors and they're all part of this coven, and that guy is made struck a deal with the devil. Mm-hmm. for his acting career. Yeah, and there's this really great part where she calls Donald and she's just like, um, I, I just want to know if there have been any improvements. And and he's like, no, no, I... Uh, still blind I, as hell. Still blind as hell. She kind of realizes that you need like a totem or like something from right. the other person to cast, you know, like a curse or whatever you want yeah, to call it. Um, Hutch had said he had lost a glove. Yes, yes. And, and so she kind of like tricks Donald into telling her in a way. Like she's like... 
oh, Guy um, has something of yours. Right. And he's like, what? And she's like, yeah, he has something of yours. And he says that they, he admits that they switched ties that day. Right. And so Rosemary's like, oh my fucking God, it's true. All of them are my husband. My husband's a fucking Satanist. My husband's a witch. My husband's a witch. And so she's like, um, okay, that's it. Thanks. Bye. Yeah, so she eventually is just like, no, 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 no. All of this is terrible. I'm going to be fucking killed or my baby's going to be killed. I hate all of this. So she runs away, tries to to call Dr. Hill. There's that great shot in the phone booth. Yeah. Where she is just like freaking out and she sees the guy behind her. She's like, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. And and like you feel Mm -hmm. that way too. It's such Mm -hmm. a wonderfully tense shot. Anyway, so she runs away. She calls Dr. Hill from the payphone, demands that she be seen immediately. She's so scared. Is is this after she's been to Dr. Saperstein? She went back to him first. Yes, thank you. Yes, okay. She goes back to Saperstein. Yes. That's when she's like... Uh, the charm. Yes, the charm, because the receptionist talks to her about tannis root and all of that. Mm-hmm. She's so like, oh, you don't, you you smell nice now. And she's like, oh, and, and she's like, maybe you could give, give Dr. Saperstein some advice or like something yeah. like that. And she's like, what do you mean? And she's like, maybe you couldn't smell it because you smelled the same, but he, he always smelled like that nasty thing that you smell like. And then she's like, oh my fucking God, he's in on it too. Yeah. He's all of them witches. He's also an all of them witch. And then that's when she goes into the phone booth and it's that signature scene. I will call Mm -hmm. it a signature scene. It's amazing. She's horrified that someone's going to come out and find her or she's just being, you know, she's terrified at this point. And then she calls Dr. Hill and convinces him to see her. Yeah. And he's pissed at her and he's like, yeah, yada, 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 yada. But he finally starts listening to her and we find we are so convinced that he's going to help her and that this is going to end on a happy note. Mm Mm-hmm. Nope. Drugs her. Calls Saperstein. Calls Guy. They come in. It's so terrifying. The betrayal of that scene is so well done. It's one oh of the things God. I want to of like. It is heart wrenching. It's yeah. It's one of the best shot and acted moments in all of cinema. <laughs> she is a protagonist who is fighting so She's hard. She's fighting for her fucking life and her baby's life and the worst things possible keep happening to her but she is trying she's so, so hard she's so active and so and i think that's what's wonderful is like we we'll get into this but we don't yeah. often see that yeah that's what makes this movie slash just story in general so cool she is taken away they are gonna like section her or whatever she's they're like oh you can come with us or you can go to the mental hospital it's your fucking call mm-hmm. like oh thanks guys great choice yeah thank you uh but was also a very real thing for women in that period yeah like, Doctors uh, didn't like believe how, them ever. Oh, they still was, don't. Who was the Kennedy but... that got Rosemary Kennedy who got lobotomized? Oh, I don't know. Oh yeah, no, it's because she like had probably a developmental disorder, like okay. not like well, a functional adult, but like they said like, oh no, she was crazy, and so they gave her a lobotomy that was botched, and she was just like a like a shell. I feel like I vaguely remember that, but I don't yeah. remember details. I was just listening to like, them behind the backstage recently. Yeah. So she decides to yeah. go to the apartment, right? Yeah. She she plays along. She's like, okay, I'll go with you. And she mm-hmm. they get to the apartment. She like tries to like, dashes past them, super pregnant. Tries to lock them out. And it's really explained really like in a fun way in the book because there's obviously a guy operating the elevator right. at that point. She drops all of the contents of her purse. That's right. Yeah. And so that they would have like you know a diversion. She's like, oh no! And then she springs up. She, yeah. She, she does that in the movie, too. Yeah, she throws the gate. In, yeah. Throw, yeah. She's like, sorry, uh, whatever the elevator operator's name is. She's like, sorry, and like shuts it and then goes up 
to the floor and then presses like all the bu- or yeah. she does something to where the elevator is going to take forever and she goes and she locks all the doors oh, she jams and the spring of the door i think because yeah. you, can, you can't operate it without that being that's closed. right it's like your, your apartment with the yeah yeah so she prevents the elevator from working and then she goes into the apartment and like locks it and everything and then there are already coven members in there though like Minnie's in there, the old lady who's super rude to her later. No, they come through. This is how she learns that there's the closet. Oh, that's not explained in the movie. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, well, so this is how she knows that there's like a secret passageway through that closet that was blocked right. off. Saperstein and Guy are all of a sudden in her apartment. Got it. And she notices that it's still been bolted. Right. It's double bolted, and that's how she becomes wise to what's behind that, mm-hmm. and it's a passageway to Minnie and Roman's apartment. Got it. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, because they are in the in the movie. They're just like suddenly there, and you. Yeah. It's, there's a lot of like you're expected to read it, and it's it's a well made film because you don't ask those questions. Mm-hmm. You're just like no, no, no. That's just how it went down. Or you're like, oh no, she's on. She's terrified out of her mind and has been drugged. So mm-hmm. like all of this is plausible. Right, yeah. So she wakes up. There's been members of the coven in and out of the apartment. Saperstein says, hey, sorry, baby died. She doesn't believe him. Like, we have this, I love this sequence of, like, you think the movie's over, Mm -hmm. and then it's a false ending, Mm -hmm. which I usually hate, but this one lands really well. So you have that, her in and out of waking thing, and we, again, have her hiding pills in in that little gap in their headboard. Well, because she suspects... She suspects that they're like sedatives, like yeah, sedatives. Just yeah, they're they're drugging her, and then they're asking. She's still she's producing milk, right? And oh god, who's the? Uh, there's I one older. I can't remember her name, but it's the, this is the it's one the I was lady. talking about. Yeah. There's there's a lady who who gathers the milk or whatever yeah. from her, and there's one there's one really great part where Rosemary tries to put like a dirty spoon in there or something, and yes. she's like, no, 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 and Rosemary's like, aren't you just gonna throw it out? And she's like, uh. It's just it's just more messy or like she makes yeah. an excuse and then it's Rosemary's like lame. you can tell Rosemary's just kind of like bullshit yep. like and then she hears a baby crying. Yes. And guys like, "Oh, did you hear about like this, you know, couple that moved up on the 8th floor?" like it says something like yeah. that and she's like, "Oh, do they have a baby?" and he's like, "Yeah." And then she hears it again and she's like, "That's not from the 8th floor." No. That's coming from like behind me. Yeah, and below and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Finally like she sneaks around and like no one's there and she can kind of hear things and she can kind of hear like a party or something like that going. Mm-hmm. She gets a big ass knife from the kitchen. Yes. And starts sneaking around in that wonderful house coat. Yes, the big blue one or something. Mm-hmm. Finds the secret door in mm-hmm. the closet, makes her way downstairs and she finds everybody there and they're all like, oh, what's she going to do? And she's just like, I'm going to stab all of you. Yeah. That's yeah. what I am going to do. Where's Give me my, baby? my fucking baby. Yeah, where's my fucking Cause baby? Because she sees the bassinet. Yeah. And all of this is just without goes without saying amazing acting for Mia Farrow I love it so good this whole scene is so fucking good they finally take her around and they're like well let her see it let the maybe the mother should finally start being a mother to this baby orange glowing eyes Mm -hmm. it's claws are in well because they say he has his father's eyes yeah it's claws are in mittens so it doesn't scratch itself Mm -hmm. and it has a tail that's all from the book yes but I'm just I'm I'm giving I'm giving it's good color yeah, I'm giving the imagery. Yeah, love it. Uh, and she like just drops the knife and it lands on the floor. And she's and like, holy dope. shit. Uh, yeah, she's like, those aren't, those aren't anything like guys. Yeah. The eyes, yeah. Yep. And, yep. and there's this, this big, broad scene mm-hmm. <laughs> from Roman just being like, yes, the child is Satan's and he's risen. 
It's so fucking good. I can't remember if it's in the movie or just in the book, but they start yelling like at the at the very end because you know um what's her face again don't remember her name is like rocking it too hard yes and, and rosemary's like no 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 no, stop you're making you're making him upset you're rocking it too hard and she's like fuck off yeah no, that's in <laughs> the movie then, for sure and then roman's like hey let her do it you've never had a kid yeah he's like let her do it she's the mother and he's mm-hmm. like kind of trying to like convince her that you know like it's still your baby sort of thing like you should be a mother to the baby and it seems like she kind of comes around to it at the end but then they in the book at least they all start yelling hail rosemary yeah and it's 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 just kind of satan in the movie oh yeah well well they they say that until she comes around to like yeah, I don't, I don't think they ever switch in the movie. If I, if I remember right, I don't think they ever switch. Well, I just kind of made the... When I was reading it, I just kind of made like the connection. There's like, Hail Rosemary, Hail Mary. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it's just kind of mm-hmm. like a really, mm-hmm. you know... It's so good. I made like a weird connection to it. That's really fucks with the uh, the whole Catholic through line. Yep. Exactly, because there is definitely a through line there. Yeah. Um, and that's that's the plot, right? That's, that's it. That's, that's it. everything. Nothing yeah. happens after that. All right. So you and I kind of talked about this. We're going to do something a little different this time. Because this movie's been talked to death. Yeah. I mean, it's it's an amazing film. It is a complicated film. It is a complicated, just the whole, everything about it is complicated. Because it is, as we'll talk about in a few minutes, kind of a feminist text from a fucking monster. Mm-hmm. And that's tough to deal with. That's more going to be what we talk about. We're going to dig into kind of, we're going to use the movie as like a jumping off point to kind of demonstrate the conversations that we ourselves, Nicole and Topher, have been having since we watched this together a little while ago. Mm-hmm. And really just want to have this amazingly well done film and story as a, a way to just sort of talk about some cool shit. Totally. Um, I know that's a little different than you're used to from a movie podcast. But again, if you want amazing, amazing analysis of this movie from some other people i uh, highly recommend the bechdel cast episode on this mm-hmm. it's one of my favorite pieces of art analysis i've ever heard i think it's all women on that episode too. it is yeah even the guest um, yes so yeah we're gonna kind of dive into some political discussion about it we're gonna just dive into some feminist discussions about it and then we're just going to relate it back to the present day film and kind of talk about legacy and stuff like that cool so yeah i mean politics in the late 60s it's yeah. where religion really became like an issue again i guess we we kind of go through waves obviously it's not the only time that religion has come up in american history no no what and it's i mean it wasn't quite satanic panic that was the 80s right that came later yeah that's late 70s all the way yeah like 92 yeah basically yeah but there were this is when like the cult murders happened or, yes right and the, yeah. and so this is kind of the inspiration for this kind of seems like it's been taken from that because yeah, people were of... accusing people of being in you know satanic mm-hmm. and witch like cults so there was some there were a lot of different things going on in the 60s like we as we know the 50s and 60s so were, like things. political yeah ter- politically turbulent times in the u.s for sure um, all kinds of questionings of the status quo mm-hmm. and religion became a big undercurrent to a lot of that mm-hmm. uh, you had younger folks moving away from religion and the church and the various churches yeah i know we had just had our first catholic president in kennedy who had just been shot mm-hmm. and then uh when this came out actually bobby had just been shot too his brother mm-hmm. although that wouldn't have yeah anyway, anyway yeah a lot of uh a lot of turbulence in terms of the political sphere and the religious sphere in the states mm-hmm. and moving away from this whole 
we're God country, we are a Christian country sort of thing and saying, no, 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 there's a lot of different people here and there's a lot of different ways of moving. What that did was create this not satanic panic, but yeah. you had a lot of scary shit happening. Yeah. TVs became more readily available. News became more readily available. Mm-hmm. So this is when you start getting like these sensationalist journalist pieces, either about bombings, like what well, Vietnam was going on during this time. You've got civil rights movement. Mm-hmm the beginnings of a lot of LGBTQ movements. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's there's a lot going on. And I think there was just a lot of demonization of other people. And yes, then, you, just for people being different, you yeah. know, believing something different than you. Right. And there were a lot of point, pointed fingers. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so I think that I have to believe that this is kind of a reaction to that. Yeah. Art imitates life and such. Sure, but sure, sure. yeah, I mean, another another political statement that I think that this story makes, whether it means to or not, is a lot about, you know, the agency that women have over their own bodies mm-hmm. and how this womb was never Rosemary's. No, it was on in loan. this film. It's, it, yeah, it is never Rosemary's. She wants a baby so bad, yeah. but it's taken away from her. Before it even was ever hers. Yes. Also, there's the whole element of doctors not believing women, which still happens today, unfortunately. They think that women are, quote unquote, hysterical when Mm -hmm. they come in with a problem that feels very real to them. So and and nobody ever wants to actually investigate that. And that is what is so heart wrenching about the moment with Dr. Hill is that you think, oh, my God, finally, like this nice man is like, you know, is actually believing her and is actually going to help her. And then you realize, no, he's just another doctor who doesn't believe a woman in front of him. Yeah. And it's that's an interesting to just connect it back to the film a little stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what it was in the book, but it's a very interesting way to cast it. And it's a, a really nice bit of visual juxtaposition. Mm-hmm. So Saperstein is this old, bearded, grizzly witch doctor looking man <laughs> yeah and dr hill is this young kind of young clean yeah. cut square jawed all-american boy i think they so i was always picturing them as they are in the movie when i was reading the book so they sure. so either the description matches up or they didn't really describe him well enough for yeah. me to get another picture yeah he could have so i vague. think they yeah i think that they are that runs through the book too mm-hmm all of that and there's the whole and we we kind of touched on it before and it relates back to rosemary and the agency mm-hmm. once she kind of gets wise to what's going on she fights for her life oh, yeah. she she does everything in her power and i and i think it's really interesting that this is a protagonist that's really trying everything that they possibly can but nothing is working and it makes you super frustrated as a viewer because you're like she did not deserve this in the first place yes she's a little naive but if you think about if you think about the time Mm-hmm. You know, the time period where, I mean, put yourself in her shoes. She, this is when it was the status quo to just get married. She, she's married this handsome young actor who yeah. is... 1968, John Casavetes. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. She's married this this young actor who is, you know, about to break. You yeah. Know, she's super excited. She just wants to have a nice little life with him and have a baby. And I mean, she wants to be a housewife. I guess if that's your prerogative, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, you do you. But... Am I Rosemary in our relationship? Maybe. I'm, I promise I will not sell your womb to the devil, though. Thanks, babe. I want to earn any part that I get. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's just... And it's... So she's very naive, and I have a couple reasons why I think she is. Sure. First of all, she's from Omaha, moved to New York. Mm-hmm. I think that she's a little starry-eyed. I also think that she... Okay, so Minnie is from Oklahoma, 
She says so. Oh, um, interesting. Would never have read that from the movie. No, it might not even say it in the movie, but this also gave me kind of some context. Like the fact that Minnie is from Oklahoma mm-hmm. at least gives Rosemary some form of like, oh, we're both from the Midwest. Yeah. Like we, there is a base somewhere there where sure, there's, sure, sure. you can trust someone who's from the same area as you, mm-hmm. I guess. But Minnie and Roman have lived in New York for a long time. Mm-hmm. So in Rosemary's eyes, they're like these city slickers, right? Right. And she's, she would do anything to please city slickers. She thinks they're annoying and she thinks they're nosy and sure. et cetera. But I think a small town girl from the Midwest sees, you know, these kind of the same situation. Minnie moved from Oklahoma to New York and is, you know, made her way, has, you know, a cool apartment, like, like all this stuff. I think right. Rosemary's kind of looking at her like... This could be me. This could be me. Like, yeah. the, you know, and except just like less nosy and less weird. Yeah. But I think that she has something in her that she wants to please these people. She wants to fit in. She wants to be in New York because her family rejected her because she didn't marry a Catholic. Right. And so she doesn't really have anything to go home to. Yeah. So she has to make it in New York or, you know, who yeah, knows what else is going to happen. She doesn't. On, yeah. yeah. I think she's desperate to make a life for herself in New York. And I think that she's desperate to show her family that she's doing okay. without them so that's where a lot of her drive actually comes from i think and i also just think that she's a you know person who trusts her spouse i don't think that that's a crime and i don't think that rosemary is stupid Mm -hmm. she shows it in the end that she's actually not she can she can investigate things but everyone just wants to drop her down a peg Mm. and gaslight her and say that she's not seeing what she's actually seeing and that she's crazy and that she should be in a mental hospital so I don't know. I think a lot of people jump to like, why is this bitch so stupid? I jumped to Google would have really helped this bitch out. Yeah. She wouldn't have that to go to the library. Line. It's, it's so true. <laughs> <laughs> Smartphones would have really helped these people or even just a laptop would have helped everyone out. I find it interesting because, yeah, as I was saying earlier, there are there's a lot of horror movies, broadly mm-hmm. speaking, where everything happens to the protagonist and the protagonist is the protagonist by accident. Yes. They typically I'm, I'm being really broad here but i'm just gonna go ahead and say that like what happens a lot i'm thinking of there's a number of, of films that i that i love that that the protagonist is passive the thing is in there mm-hmm. halloween is in there but Rosemary alien to so a certain degree towards the end it, throughout the movie yeah she's never passive yeah things happen to her and but she's not reacting to them like somebody else in the movie We're like okay let's see let's look at another strong female protagonist we could say ripley from alien right mm-hmm. ripley does fight, but not hard. Right. Until it becomes until it becomes clear that it's life or death. Yeah. She does take action, and that's clear. Mm-hmm. But the plot is happening to her. Yeah. Uh, for a certain amount of the film. Yes. Rosemary makes her decisions. There are decisions taken away from her. Right. Yes. Yes. How she conceives a baby is taken away from her. Yes. But she is the one who wants the apartment and makes. Guy get the apartment. Mm-hmm. She is the one who wants to decorate in a certain way. She does like there are these she like has, small yes, victories. That, and I'm, I'm not saying they're big, big things, right? No, the thing that I respect about it is that yes, it's different from my ideal like yes. life. I I have never wanted to be like the housewife or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. Here's how I can defend Rosemary. She knows what she wants, and she and does she it. goes and gets it. You bringing up that whole thing from mm-hmm. Oklahoma or about Oklahoma, uh, Omaha, and mm-hmm. all of that. Her being from there and being rejected by family for not marrying a Catholic. She wanted That's, guy. Yeah, 
She defied her family and was like, "I this is what I want. She's so, someone who goes out and does things. Yeah, and she reaches totally. out to Hutch because she's like, I haven't seen Hutch. And she wants to have a party because she hasn't seen her friends. She wants to go see Dr. Hill because she's afraid of Dr. Saperstein. So she goes to Dr. Saperstein. She does or Dr. things. Hill. Yeah, she is a very, very <laughs> active protagonist who's just frustrated at every turn. And that I think is as why. As opposed to, and I want to like just sort of flip that and say like, okay, well, why then we look at Alien as like a fairly strong female protagonist movie that's also in the same genre. And things just happen to Ripley a lot. Like, she's being hunted. She's not pursuing. Yes. God, it's so interesting because you... I think it's all. it all has to do with the subject matter. Because with Ripley, bitch is, like, in space. Yeah. And you it, see it, her as, like, an yeah. HBIC. She's, like, you know, she's, she's up in space. She knows her shit. But then right. you see Rosemary looking helpless just because she's pregnant. And she's wanting to be, like, a stay-at-home mom. Yeah. Which... I think it's kind of bullshit. Yes. I think it's kind of bullshit. Like, it's not, you know, neither life is what I want to have for myself. So it's different from my, you know, point of view. But I think that's bullshit. I think that Rosemary can be just as strong of a protagonist as Ripley. I completely agree. And that's exactly right, I think. Yeah. It's I mean, kind of crazy. Yeah. And I think it's, it's, there's this conception, there's this misconception that to be a strong female protagonist you have to be there's this mcsweeney's article i always think of it's something like oh fuck i wish i could remember who wrote it and i wish i could remember the actual title of it but if you look up uh i'm a girl who kicks mcsweeney's okay you can find it uh-huh. but basically the whole idea is that it's like your your trinity in matrix you're not ripley but like a lot of charlie's angels right yeah i'm the girl and i kick is right. the whole thing like I'm the I do the sexy dance fighting I right. I don't punch boys I kick them and then I say something cool and I'm not like the other girls right and All it's, that it's that yeah exactly and I think that we too often we make women and I see this from so many of my writer friends mm-hmm. and then I have to yell at them for it it's just like and I've and I've been guilty of this too I'm not gonna try and like get out of this. Mm-hmm. When you're like a, a male-bodied person who presents as male and all of these things, mm-hmm. and you've been raised as a as a boy, as a man, whatever, mm-hmm. and you start writing women, you're like, okay, I want to write women. That's the thing that should be the case. They're half the fucking world. They should right. exist in my worlds. And then you make all the women who are the protagonist or protagonist adjacent special. Yeah. <laughs> and then that's with yeah. all the glitter and sparkles and explosions and shit around it. It's a hard, it's it's so a hard thing to do. It can be done, but I definitely think that it's really easy to tell when a man has directed a um, woman, mm-hmm. you know, or, or a man has written a uh, female part. Oh, is this my cue? <laughs> is this my cue? Sure. Ari Aster's never talked to a woman in his life. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> Damn. You just, you can throw it in there at any turn. I hate um, him so much. <laughs> so I have one more. Oh, I'm just going to let you have your moment. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. I'm done. I'm sorry. So I have one, I just have one more thing to say about the whole Rosemary's agency and how no one believes her and how frustrating it is for the viewer. Yep. So yeah, it's kind of a wild thing to try and tell people that like, you know, my husband is a witch and or he's like sold a soul to the devil sort of thing. Like my neighbors are witches. Let's like not guy, let's well, not let a guy off. Guy's a witch. No, you you know what I mean? That's kind of a crazy thing to say, but there are also little concrete things that she finds mm-hmm. and that she says to people and they shut her down mainly guy because of his own prerogative obviously. But like one example is I read, I I meant to watch the movie again, but I I watched the movie and then read the book. So this is just what stuck with me. So Doris, who is Hutch's daughter. Right. 
was also a patient of Saperstein. That's right. That's but right. But when Rosemary is just casually talking to her, she says, I only had to go see Saperstein like once or twice a month. Rosemary had to go every week. Yeah. And she questions this and she's and guy shuts her down like immediately. Mm-hmm. And so she has all these concrete things that aren't like they're not weird. They're not, you know, um, they're not ethereal in any way no, there's that no... she's brought to the table. And everyone is just like, no, you're crazy. Yeah. She continues to bring concrete evidence. Yeah. She can point to things and say this, this, this. It's not circumstantial. What she what she get, brings to everyone mm-hmm. is like. Yeah. Significant. Even like with Dr. Hill, like she's a little manic at that moment. Who wouldn't be? Right. Um, But she's pointing to things. She's like, look, this is all who these people are. This is literally a photo of him. Yeah. It's it's insane how no one believes her. But this is going to kind of lead into the next point that I want to make. Mm -hmm. This movie, I think, hit home for a lot of people. And it's why it's been talked about so much. Because it was one of the first films that brought the nightmare home Mm -hmm. it's not it's not the protagonist going somewhere Mm -hmm. and things happening it's not a group of teenagers going to something that is quote-unquote haunted but trying to see if they can last the night yeah it's not it's not the shining where they put them they kind of put themselves in this situation yeah she doesn't put herself in danger she doesn't she just wants to have a fucking baby and live in the Bramford (laughs) with her cozy fireplace yes and read books and hang out with Guy and have date nights yeah that's all she wants to do sounds like a fucking nice life yeah yeah, and it's what she wants, and she that's what is so horrifying about this, and I think that's why it hit home with so mm. many people. It's bringing the nightmare inside yeah. instead of going out and like coming into contact with the nightmare. So that's why I think that if you think about when the movie happened, I think it's one of the first ones that did this, yeah. and that's why everyone talks about it. I think we've obviously done it since then. You can see direct influence on like Get Out. Yes, and Jordan Peele actually said in an interview that he took inspiration from both Rosemary's Baby and Stepford Wives, which is also a book written by Ira Levin. He has this. I, I want to know more about Levin. He has such an interesting insight. Into, well, I'm sorry to interrupt you to, to say no, this. No, no, you're sorry, fine. But you're it, fine. it doesn't really help my point land if I'm interrupting you. <laughs> but I find it so interesting that he wrote two of my favorite like insights into the struggles of women. Yeah. That are both really solid horror stories. Yeah. Side note about Ira Levin too is I think he... And he wrote he wrote the book for uh, some musicals. He wrote yeah. uh, he wrote the book for Drat the Cat for sure, which actually I sang I sang a song from that musical for my college auditions. Um, <laughs> but I recognized the name, and then when I looked him when I looked him up, I was like, oh yeah, that musical. And then it's really funny because in the book he drops Drat the Cat in there. Says oh, yeah. like you know they uh, uh, Drat the Cat's <laughs> on Broadway or so. Like it, it's kind of funny. That's funny. Um, so Jordan Peele does this really well in Get Out. You where, where you can perceive the protagonist as brushing things off. Mm-hmm. Like Guy has something to say to every single one of Rosemary's questions, like issues right. or whatever. And it's just weird enough to where you might question it, but not weird enough for to expect an explanation. So you can see how easy it is for the protagonist to also justify it as reality. And that's what gives the amount of depth that Get Out has and the mm. amount of depth that Rosemary's Baby has because you as a viewer 
can kind of be like, oh, if I were in this situation, it might go over my head too, or I might justify this as a reality. So maybe this could happen to me in some sort of universe, you know, and that it really brings it home. And I think that that's why people really respond. I mean, you, you respond to a movie because you can, you're either just, you know, you're floored by it, but usually if you're floored by it, it means that you can relate to someone's situation in the movie, Mm -hmm. even if it's kind of a distant relation to it right and i mean that's why that's that's what art is there for anyway yeah you know like we all try to relate and it's cathartic and it's you know all of these things it's entertaining but that's also something that i think this movie does extremely well like we understand why rosemary doesn't go running and screaming until the the very end when all of her suspicions have unfortunately been confirmed and the same thing in get out you wouldn't go running and screaming at like the little tiny minor things that are happening to you. But then once you realize and like the other shoe drops, you're like, oh, fuck. And then you do go running and screaming. Yeah. Right. And I think that that is such a cool subtlety that Ira Levin has. Mm-hmm. And that Jordan Peele took inspiration from. And that's what I think made yeah. Get Out very yeah, interesting Yeah, Get Out is such, it's such an awesome... I, I know this this episode's not about it, but I'm just going to sing his praises for a second. Yeah, that's one of the best fucking horror movies I've ever fucking seen. I And it's love because it. it's this gorgeous Frankenstein, Frankenstein's monster for you pedants, of <laughs> some of the best horror films ever made. Yeah. Something that Peel understands really well. He did this He did this with comedy. He does it with horror. Is don't ignore your references. Wear them on your sleeve. Yeah. Show people where it came from. Mm-hmm. Because all that does... Like, people are afraid to do that because they're like, oh, I don't want to invite comparison to the greats or I don't want to seem like I'm ripping it off. It's like, no, just be a better writer. I was about to say, just do it. <laughs> just do it better. Yeah. And so what he does is he's like, okay, I'm going to throw in all these John Carpenter shots. Mm-hmm. Half that movie are just John Carpenter shots, either from Halloween or The Thing. Mm-hmm. And then you've got all this like tight in corners house shots from rosemary's baby yeah and the plotting of rosemary's baby and it's like the undercurrent of rosemary's baby and that dark comedy of Wes craven coming through and so it's like yeah just just show everything like you i mean moral of the story jordan peele rocks yeah yeah nothing but praise for him nothing Uh, but big, big 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 fan but that i think is what is so just ugh about this movie that's all i can that's all i can even say is that you feel crazy you feel crazy watching rosemary go through all this shit because you are like who the who the fuck can she even turn to Mm -hmm. who's gonna believe her and you also kind of see i mean as a viewer you know things that she doesn't so you're seeing like every single time she says anything about where she's going or what she's doing to guy especially after you've seen it once or read Mm -hmm. it once you were just like Bitch, shut up. Don't fucking tell him anything. Don't he's tell gonna, him. Just leave his ass. He's going to kill whoever you're trying to like go and hang yeah. out with. Because, Don't give him any information. Oh my God, yeah. And it just, I mean, it makes, this movie makes me feel so much just because I, I can't even begin to express how frustrating it is for people to not believe you just because you are female presenting. And I yep. know this is also an issue... With people of other races, other mm-hmm. like it is not just gender. Obviously, it's not no. just that problem. It is, but it reads to all of those. It yeah. reads to all of them, and I, I think that is really what's horrific about this. Like it would be. Think about your like one of my worst nightmares would probably be that feeling of, um, 
being in a completely like white room mm-hmm. and seeing something, seeing like the holy grail of what you've wanted running for and it keeps disappearing. Mm. I mean, think about how frustrating that is. Yeah. And that's exactly what happens to her through this. She gets little glimmers of like, maybe, maybe, maybe someone will like help me out and save me and my child. I mean, the motherly thing is what really comes in here. And you're like, it's not even her life. It's her baby's life too. Yeah. You know, so it it just heightens the whole thing. Yeah. And there's a meta, there's a meta frustration to this film in that it is just for a last time to say this. It's a really fucking interesting feminist reading of women's inner lives and the struggles they go through made by a fucking monster i know i i it kills me i can't that is another thing i struggle with i struggle with it so much that roman polanski is such a piece of shit how why did he even pick this material it's beyond me i've i've there's i've read interviews with him i've tried to figure it out i've listened to other people to try to figure it out who are much smarter than i am not hard but still like it's it's one of the more perplexing things that's ever happened in film. There's a lot of things it. that don't make sense that have happened in this industry, and many of them have been brought to light recently. Uh, many horrible, frustrating things that go on every single day. But this is one of the ones that it's just like, what? I'm just annoyed that I... Uh, like, the amount that I love Ira Levin is the amount that I hate Roman Polanski. So I have such so, an issue. Yeah. I have such an issue. So I So now I just say that I love the book. Yeah. <laughs> You can say it's a fantastic story, and you know what? Because it is. The other people who worked on the film, the the tech on this film, like I said earlier, is just so well done. Fraker is fucking cinematography god. Yeah. I'm only giving Um, this movie praise for the people who aren't child rapists. Thank you. Hopefully none of the rest of them were, but then... I mean, who knows? But yeah. I, oh, um, <laughs> there was another thing actually we didn't bring up earlier um, about politics. How fucking marital rape was legal in New York oh, City yeah. until 1984. That's true. So what guy does to her is technically legal, mm-hmm. which is, you know, horrifying. Horrifying. <laughs> God, when I mean, it just makes me want to throw up when she wakes up and realizes that oh, that God. he fucked her while she was passed out and she's just like she's like well uh it didn't have to be like you know last night like i'm it still would have been fine this morning like yeah did you like uh, it's not how women's bodies work you uh, but it (sighs) he starts trying to like laugh it off oh he's so disgusting he's like i didn't want to miss baby night well uh, i didn't want you to rape me so Jesus. It's so that's another frustrating thing, and and I heard that actually there there are still issues in like South Carolina about yeah. like yes. marital like it, spousal there rape. Are a like lot there, of... that's all I have to say to that. Super fun note to end on, babe. I know. I'm sorry. sorry that this... sounds like no, 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 no. That that is not how that was meant to sound. <laughs> I heard it in the monitor the second I said it. No, I'm just like, ugh. this movie yeah. is always tough. This movie is very tough, but I'm gonna say that Mia Farrow is a gorgeous human, wonderful actor. Ira Levin is an incredible storyteller, mm-hmm. and I apologize. What's the cinematographer's name? William Fraker. William Fraker is an incredible cinematographer. Now you've got me second guessing. Yeah, William A. Fraker, but William Fraker. Yeah. William A. Fraker is an incredible cinematographer. That is what I will. Such a pretty movie. That is what I will leave us with in- yeah. instead of the <laughs> marital rape. Um, Mia Farrow deserved a better lot than she got in life. <laughs> yeah. 
This is true. But you know what? All right. So uh, you know where to find us. But if you don't, we are at horrorbabespod.com. And then our Twitter handle is also horrorbabespod. But our Instagram handle is horrorbabespodcast. We really should have discussed that beforehand. Oh, well. Oops. Too late now. So yeah, uh, drop us a line if you've got anything anything to say. Any movies that you might want us to cover, we're, we're open to suggestions. Mm-hmm. Um, so let us know. Bye, Bye babes. babes.